Well, good morning once again. If you would uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Obviously, we are getting closer and closer to the end of Genesis. We will, after that, I've kind of told you some, uh, begin a series probably called Behold, where we'll, we'll be beholding the glory of the Lord. And by the power of the Spirit, we'll be transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. And that, that should be taking place even now as we study Genesis, but we'll, we'll do a, a series that is uh, particularly on that, teaching us uh, what's going on and what we can do to enhance this transformation in our lives by God's grace. Last week, we looked at uh, Genesis chapter 49, uh, sorry, 48, and uh, there we saw Jacob uh, begin giving his uh, last day's blessings. You know, he knows that he's uh, coming closer to the day of his death, and he called in uh, Joseph, and uh, from there he gives the blessing of the firstborn, not to his true firstborn, Reuben, but to Joseph, but he gives that blessing through Joseph to Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, his two sons, and so they, they get an equal portion. They become uh, full-on, full-fledged tribes, of, uh, of, of Jacob, of Israel. Uh, but we saw last week that Jacob did all of that in faith. His, uh, his blessings were, were shaped by and founded upon the fact that God would surely fulfill the promises that he had made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we saw that acting in such a way, acting by faith in what God had yet to fulfill was actually an act of worship because it showed that God is trustworthy. If God said it, he will do it. I will act upon it, and by doing that, it was an act of worship to be pleasing to God, to be good for others to see our faith, and also uh, to bring us joy as we trust God and commune with him and, uh, and worship him. And so that was last week. We, we began the blessings of Jacob as he ends his life. But this week, as we step into Genesis 49 we'll see the prophetic blessings of Jacob to his 12 sons. Uh, to, to, I mean, we saw Ephraim and Manasseh last week, but now he'll go in, in individually to his 12 sons, give them these blessings. And a moment ago, I called them prophetic blessings because that's what they are. Uh, they are, oftentimes, they don't even quite look like blessings. I think the word blessing in this context may more be a figure of speech. It is specifically called uh, a blessing there near the end of chapter 49 that he, he uh, blessed each of them there in verse 28. But I think that's, once again, more of a figure of speech because not all of them quite look like blessings. Uh, they, they may actually seem more like curses or at least warnings of what was to come for them. Uh, but the other word I used there was prophetic. They're prophetic blessings. This is more than a hope you have a great day, be blessed, you know, like, that's not what this is. This is a, a prophecy of what is to come. And that's what we'll see here in just a moment. And so, uh, as I, I've known, you know, this chapter is coming, obviously, for a couple of years since we've been in Genesis, this chapter is coming. And I've, I've always been looking at it and saying, you know, when I get there, I'll figure it all out, right? I'll, I'll, I'll understand what's going on and uh, what's going on with each of these prophecies. And it was funny because as I started to study over the past couple of weeks, you know, digging into it a little bits here and there, and then this week more intensely, um, I started to realize that it's not quite so simple. A couple of the commentaries uh, that I studied uh, to try to help me figure this thing out 
uh, said this is an expositor's nightmare is what they call uh, this Genesis 49 uh, blessing of Jacob to his 12 sons. So an expositor uh, is, is what I try to do. I try to say, okay, here is what God's word says. Like this is, this is what it says and this is what it means. Like that's what an expositor does. And the, the trouble here in Genesis 49 is it, there, there's a bunch of different issues here. And I try not to get uh, too, too far off here. But uh, first, I'm supposed to say what the text says. But that's a problem because depending on what translation of the Bible you read, it will actually say that it says different things on minor issues, okay? But basically, like, different words that are used in here. Um, some people believe, no, that's, that's this word. That's cult, like the cult of a donkey. Oh, no, no, that's the word vine in Hebrew. Um, and that may sound weird to you that you could say, well, how do you not know which word it is? Um, again, I don't want to get too far down here, but... Uh, the original Hebrew didn't have vowel points. It was uh, only the, the consonants. And we have later understood the vowel points. And we've actually, in later history uh, of the Hebrew language, added these vowel points so that things like this wouldn't happen, so that we would know. So if you think about it, if, if we had no vowels in the English language, a lot of words you'd say, well, what is that? You know, I see uh, B and K. B, so BK, that's, that could be bike, that could be bake, that could be... You know, it could be so many different things. And so usually context makes it very simple to understand that. But in the context here, uh, there's some difficulty. Again, I, I don't want it to, you to lose your confidence at all in God's word or our ability to uh, um, know what it says and interpret it. Uh, but on some of these, on very minor issues, it's hard to know what it says. But then further, these are prophetic blessings of what will happen in the, the tribes of, of Israel and the interpretation is difficult. So as an expositor, I tell you what it says and I tell you what it means, uh, but that's also difficult in this. And there's, there's a great deal of debate or, or you know, different ideas of what could be going on here. Well, when it says this, it's talking about this that happened in later history. No, 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 it's talking about this that happened in later history. No, it's talking about this. And it's just like, <clears throat> well, it is an expositor's nightmare. Um, and so what I've kind of decided I'm going to do for today um, is we'll, we'll see, you know, I'll, I'll read through it and um, hopefully you'll get a general idea of what's going on. Again, these are all minor issues, uh, the, any differences here. <clears throat> but rather than um, spend our time showing you all the different arguments for one translation over another or even different arguments for one interpretation over another or for when they're fulfilled, what I want to do is look at the things that we know for sure from Genesis 49, some principles, rather than the, here's what it says, I want to find some principles that we can for sure draw out of this, because I would much rather teach on things that are for sure than conjectures or guesses, and then we will see what we can draw out of those principles and how we can align our lives with that. All of that may have made no sense to you. It's all right. We'll, we'll get there. You'll see because I'm not going to break down each little one and, sh again, show you here's exactly where that was fulfilled or here's exactly what that, that, that would just be a lot of time. And, again, it's an expositor's nightmare to even go that direction. But there is something to expositorily preach. And uh, so that is what I desire to do. And, oddly enough, I think the principles that we can draw from this are incredibly powerful if we're willing to listen to them and live in light of them. So that's what we will do today. So if you have your Bible open, Genesis 49, we will read together. 
you know, it's de decently lengthy, but you can uh, hopefully hang with me through here, and then we will uh, pray and, and get to studying it. So let's begin Genesis 49, verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until, tributes come, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell, in the shore, dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a beautiful bow, a beautiful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you. By the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the, the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at the evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what, your, what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, 
in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess a burying place. There they buried Abraham and, and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it, in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. That is Genesis 49. That is God's word, and that is what we will study today. Let's, let's join together and pray as we dive into this expositor's nightmare. Father God, we just praise you for your word, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. God, we know you've revealed yourself to, uh, to us in creation. All that we see around us, screams of your glory, shouts of your glory and your might and your divine power. And we thank you for that. But we thank you even more for your divine word. Where you, you've revealed yourself, you have revealed your character, you've revealed the way you interact with people. God, we pray that today as we study this, even difficult passage, that we can sort of see past the clutter and see these uh, bigger overarching principles that we can certainly draw and live in light of. God, do this in our lives for your glory, the good of others, and our joy, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, I'm not going to break apart each one of these and explain them. Some of them we'll dive into uh, more deeply than others. But what I do want to do today is draw three principles, three principles from this, uh, this passage, from these prophetic blessings that we can be sure about, that we can know for sure, and that we can live in light of. And they will uh, build and, and, and interact with one another. And uh, I believe when we see all of these three principles in play, it can direct our lives. Um, it can direct our, our lives in some powerful ways. So the first principle, uh, the first principle, if you want to write this down, is number one, the future was in God's hands. The future was in God's hands. It's interesting because, you know, we, we read all of this and all of this is it's kind of history for us. You know, we, we've seen the prophecies given and we've seen the, these prophecies fulfilled. But we need to remember that at one point in the past, this was the future. At, at one point in the past, this was future history, things that had not yet taken place. And so we, we, we need to consider what Jacob says there in verse 1, verse 40, or chapter 49, verse 1. It says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Now, we, again, as we move forward through the Bible, we can, we can look at each of these pro prophetic blessings and we can see usually more than one instance, more than one possibility of where uh, the, each of these is, is fulfilled in one way or another, these, these prophetic blessings and so kind of the question is, well, how can that be? How can, how can they know, how can Jacob know, you know, exactly what's going to happen in their future? Well, the reason is, <clears throat> first, and this one may, may be obvious to you, God is inspiring him. God is leading him to give these blessings. So he, he's really 
telling us what, what God says is going to happen in the future, but how can God know what will happen in the future? How, how can God know? <clears throat> you know, that may seem like a silly question to you, really, uh, but there's a thing out there called process theology. Process theology is the idea that God is, has, you know, created this world, kind of spun it, and he's saying, okay, what's going to happen? You know, like, and he, he's waiting to see how history will evolve and waiting to see how things will go and waiting to see the future. And he can maybe <clears throat> make guesses as to what will happen, but it's all in process. And, and they would even say that God is being affected by his creation and God is being changed by his creation. But I would say that is absolutely not the truth. History is not in process from God's point of view uh, that, that he doesn't know what's going to happen. And so what we see here is God is, through Jacob, telling them what will happen to you in the days to come. That's 49.1, what shall happen to you in the days to come. And God is telling them what will happen in the future because it is God who will bring the future to pass. The future is in God's hands. God knows the future. God foretells the future because God is the one who will make the future happen in his own sovereign way. And there's a lot of mystery there as to how God will make uh, the, the, the future come to pass because there's a lot of uh, choices that will be made. There are a lot of free agents, you could say, um, humans that, that will make decisions, you know, have ideas, thoughts, and, and do things good or bad. But through all of that, God will bring the future to pass. God will make all of these prophecies come true. You could, by the way, think of all the prophecies that have already come true uh, in, in the lives of Abraham and Isaac and even Jacob to some degree up to this point. But there are many left uh, to do, and that, that's what a lot of these are, is here's what will happen when you come into the land. Here's how things will be, the promised land. And so, for example, I'll just give you some examples here of how we can uh, already see this. Uh, the first uh, blessing there is to Reuben. <clears throat> And Reuben is told there in verse 4 that because he is unstable as water, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. So Reuben, being the firstborn child, like it would be expected that he would be a mighty and strong nation, uh, or tribe rather, mighty and strong tribe. But as, as we go through the Bible, as we go forward through the Bible from this point on, we see that, that Reuben isn't overly mentioned. He, he, he's not all that prominent there's not not many prominent things going on there and even when the tribe of reuben is mentioned it's often in a negative light and so we we see that happen um you know in in the future of israel reuben certainly does not have preeminence so there you go here here's uh, your prophetic blessing you shall not have preeminence and then we see from our point of view the future was in god's hands because he did not have preeminence we see uh the next one, not the next one uh, uh, in, in the blessings, but the next one I want to talk about is the prophecy given to, to Judah. The prophecy given to Judah was that he would be the kingly tribe and that the Messiah would come through him. He would be the kingly tribe and the Messiah would come through him. It says, your brothers, this is uh, verse 8, your brothers shall praise you, your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Think about how this kingly tribe, especially through David, attacked and conquered the enemies. It says, your father's son shall bow down before you, as, as subjects would to a king. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. I'm going to pause there. 
the idea is the kingly rule would now pass through Judah, uh, through the line of Judah, and was not to depart from the line of Judah. This is uh, what, what, what was to happen. And this is actually an eternal thing, because it goes on to say, uh, let's see here, where am I? Yeah, uh, verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That's a, that's a messianic thing, that there will be this, this, this scepter. Uh, between the feet, by the way, is a, a metaphor for via reproduction. Uh, the scepter will, will, will come in the line of heredity, heredity uh, is, is kind of what's going on there, until tribute comes to them. And, and again, different uh, translations there, until Shiloh comes. Uh, there's just all these things, but this is a messianic prophecy that there will be this Messiah who comes, this ruler who sits on this throne and who has the obedience of all the peoples. And this is, so this is the prophecy given to Judah. And so we've seen that. We've seen in our, uh, in our Bibles that the, the king, kingly line does follow through Judah, beginning with David and then on down through. You have later the kingdom split. You have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah. That's what that's talking about. Judah is the ones who say, no, we are following the kingly line uh, that God has given us. So we, we see that there. And by the way, the, as far as the Messiah goes, we see from Luke chapter 3 that Jesus was, in fact, uh, of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David. And so we've seen that Messiah happen. And I would say Jesus is now sitting on the throne as king, but there will be a day that that is fully known and the obedience of all the peoples comes. So some of that is still future, but a large amount of that prophecy has already been fulfilled. The next one I just want to talk about categorically is the land allotments of Simeon and Levi. They're, they're, they're handled together. And then Zebulun and Issachar. So they, uh, God in their, their prophetic blessings, God kind of tells them information about their land allotments. Okay, what are land allotments? Well, right now they're in Egypt. Even when they were in Israel, the land wasn't theirs, right? They were just dwelling there as sojourners. But God has told them, all of this will be yours. And so we know that later on, they will come out of Egypt, uh, millions at that point, um, 600,000 men uh, of, of fighting age. So there will be millions when you include women and children and elderly um, as well. So they go in, they have the promised land time, but then finally... Uh, when they go into the land, before they go into the land, they allot areas of Israel that will be uh, each tribe's area. And so, again, all of this uh, was, was given beforehand, that this is how their allotment will be. Uh, Levi, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar. Now, the question is, on all of these, though, did, did the people hear the prophecy you know uh did they have the prophecy written down or, or told you know passed down to them and say oh okay so this is what god prophesied so now we're going to do this in order to fulfill that prophecy right because that's not all that impressive right if, if, if you were to say to me hey jeff you're going to go to the store today i say oh what a prophecy and then i say well i guess in order to fill that prophecy i need to go to the store then i go to the store and I fulfill the prophecy, and I, I mean, that wouldn't be all that amazing, right? Because I'd say, well, I went to the store. I chose to go to the store in order to fulfill the prophecy. So that's not all that impressive. But let's think about these, the, the ones that I've just given you. 
whether or not the people of Israel purposely fulfilled them and therefore kind of took away the impressive nature, kind of made it to where it was like, well, is God really in control if they just made sure they fulfilled the prophecies? Let's think about it. The first one we talked about was Reuben. You shall not have preeminence. Is it likely that the people of Reuben said, well, we're not supposed to have preeminence, so let's just be lackluster. <laughs> let's, let's try to make things bad for us to where we're not powerful, we're not great, we don't do many good things in our is it is that likely that they tried to make that prophecy fulfilled? No, that is incredibly unlikely uh, that they would try to fulfill their own negative prophecy. Okay, the next one is the messianic, or sorry, the kingly and messianic prophecy given to Judah. So kingly, okay, God has told us through Jacob that uh, the tribe of Judah will be the kingly tribe. So, well, obviously they just chose a king in accordance with that, right? Did they? Who was the first king of Israel? Anybody? Saul. What tribe was he from? Was he from Judah? Were they following this prophecy, making sure it was fulfilled? Saul was a Benjaminite. He was a Benjaminite, which um, again shows you this detachment from their obedience to God and, and seeing what God wants them to do. Uh, but but that's, that doesn't really even lead to our point. My point is, they were not trying to fulfill this prophecy. It was only after Saul made shipwreck of his kingship and didn't follow God's commands that God says, no, we will now anoint David. You can find that in 1 Samuel 9, um, all, all of these things, that, that he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Then later, again, he you know, uh, disobeys God in some, some ways and doesn't follow God's commands. And so now it'll be through David. And so it is actually through God's leading that this messianic, uh, or sorry, not messianic, kingly uh, prophecy is fulfilled. And then it's kind of hard for us to take credit, anyone to take credit for the Messiah coming through a particular tribe on our own, because, you know, you have this God-man Jesus that comes through this. And so that's pretty clearly, I would say, God's hands, not them trying to fulfill that. And then you think about the land allotments. Okay, well, you guys you're, are told here uh, by Jacob that your land allotment will be like this. So what we need to do is look at a map of Israel, you know, and kind of think about the geography. Think about uh, the, the different trade that will be going on. And then we need to choose your land allotments accordingly. Is that how they chose the land allotments? No, that is not how they chose the land allotments. Um, you, we find later in the Bible in uh, Joshua, and, and it's repeated in Numbers as well, uh, that the way they chose the land allotments is they cast lots. Lots are like dice, basically. It's a, a random item, but God told them to, to cast lots in order to know what their land allotments will be. And so these were uh, what, you know, what we might call random, where they land, and it just so happens that they fulfill the prophecies uh, that, that are given to them. Now, there's a pretty slim chance of dice fulfilling these prophecies, unless, of course, there is a God behind the roll of the dice. You people who are in my Wednesday study, you know where I'm going with this. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap. That's the dice is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So there you have it again. This, these, all these, these uh, prophecies were not purposely fulfilled by the people of Israel, yet they were fulfilled to the T. Why? Because God was in control of the future. The future was in God's 
hands. We need to understand, my friends, that God is sovereign. God has written. God already knows the future. You could even say God is outside of time in the sense that he can see the future before it occurs and all of this, and he is intimately in control of all of these things. God is able to prophesy. Jacob is able to prophesy for the sake of God because God is in control of the future. And I think we need to, to, to take a step back and we say, oh, of course I believe that. Do you believe that God is in control of who gets elected to run your country? Or do you believe that God is in control of who, the laws that get passed? Do you believe God is in control of your health or lack of it? It's a lot easier when we just talk about it as, as theories. Oh, God is in control. But what about when it affects you? What about when it seems scary? God has the future in his hands. It always was that way. It is that way now. God has the future in his hands. Now, what, what we need to understand, though, that I draw from this, another principle that I draw from this is, well, first, I'll just, the setup here is we think, okay, well, God's in control. God is in control of all future history. He always has been, always will be. Therefore, we are just robots. We are just pawns on a chessboard that God is moving the pieces, and we ha- you know, have no real responsibility here, you know. I mean, if God already has the future set in stone, then I, I should just live however I want, and God, the, God's future will happen, and it makes no difference whatsoever. And that's uh, oftentimes the conclusion people come to when they think about the sovereignty of God. But this next principle that I draw from these uh, prophetic blessings is this. Number two, choices have consequences. Choices had consequences, and choices still have consequences uh, today. Choices had consequences. The reason I say that is these prophecies, whether for good or for bad, once again, they're not all blessings in the sense that it would make you happy to hear them, whether for good or for bad, were based on either the past actions of that tribal leader, so that son of Jacob, it was based on their actions, or it was based on the future actions of that, that, the tribal people when, when they were to, to get bigger. Does that make sense? These prophecies are, 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 are laid in stone by God. This is the future. This is what will happen. But we can actually trace the choices of the people that is making these prophecies happen for good or for bad. Uh, positively, we'll think of some positive examples here. Uh, first, uh, both Judah and Joseph get both amazingly bre- uh, blessed uh, prophecies here. Uh, in chapter 49. Both, both amazingly blessed prophecies. All the other ones are really not all that awesome, to be honest with you. Um, but both of them had made some choices in the past that seemed to direct what their future prophecy will be. We think about Judah uh, earlier in this story here in, in Genesis. He offered to sacrifice himself in the place of Benjamin to say, no, I will take his place imprisonment and and as a a servant of pharaoh i will take his place if if you'll let him go and that was sort of like as we saw uh, judah's redeeming moment or at least where he showed where he revealed the redemption that had taken place inside of him and so that that's this choice that he makes i will make the ultimate sacrifice my life 
for his. And God blesses that. Judah will now be the kingly tribe and Judah will have the Messiah come through him. We think about Joseph. Once again, we saw through Genesis, he remained so faithful under trial, didn't he? He remained so faithful under trial. He always was giving glory to God. And even when it, when it came down to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, he was quick to take care of them and to forgive them of all that they had done. And so for that, God now confers these amazing blessings on Joseph. Uh, kind of the, the wording there of these blessings uh, to Joseph. Let's see here. It says in verse 26, The blessing of your father are, are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. So what he's saying there is, the blessings that have come to me, Jacob, are greater than what came to Isaac and, and what came to Abraham. Like, they got blessed by God, but mine were greater. And then he goes on to say, May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brother. So he's saying this same extra additional blessing that came upon me, I want to come upon you as well, Joseph. And so again, we see these amazing blessings based on these good choices of, of these men. But the same is true negatively. The same is true negatively. Negative choices uh, result in negative consequences, negative prophecies. So we think about Reuben. Reuben there in uh, verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4, it says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. So what he's saying there is, you've got lots of potential here, Reuben. You, you're strong, you're, you're the first fruits of my strength, says Jacob, and you should be preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. But he goes on to say, verse 4, unstable as water, that means you're, you're undependable, I, I don't know what you're going to do, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. And that's where um, he, he lays with um, his father's wife, his father's concubine. It wasn't his mother, but it was his father's wife. And uh, so he, he's just like, because of that choice, because you are uh, as unstable, as unreliable as water, you shall not have preeminence. So we see a direct causation here, not just a correlation. It says, because you did this, a causation, his choice to go up and, and, and slake his lusts had long-standing consequences. Again, we see Simeon and Levi is uh, the next uh, prophecy given there, beginning in verse 5. Listen to what it says about them. Simeon, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For, or because, for in their anger... They killed men, and in, the, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob, and it will scatter them in Israel. So we have, once again, a causation. You guys ha ha had unrestrained anger 
anger is understandable. Unrestrained anger. Do you remember that? They, the defiling of Dinah, their sister. And they go and not only kill the man who defiled her, but they kill all the men of the city. Take the women and children. Uh, and, and, and they kill all their animals. And anyways, their, their anger was so bad, so out of proportion. And he says, because of this, cursed be your anger. Let my soul not come to your counsel. They were actually next in line. Simeon would be next in line for the, for the uh, blessing of the firstborn. Levi would be the next in line for the blessing of the firstborn. And both of them forfeited it. This good thing that could have come to them, they both forfeited it, forfeited it because of their choices. Their choices had real consequences. And it says they would be scattered in Israel. Again, they were to be given land allotments. And we'll talk about this here in a moment. Given land allotments. And uh, it's saying, but... They'd be scattered rather than uh, stay together, their tribes. They would not stay together uh, very well, which would be sort of a form of a curse on them. So what we need to learn from that, friends, is yes, God is entirely sovereign. Or I could ask this in question form. Is God entirely sovereign in control of everything that happens? Yes, God is entirely in control of everything that happens. Do your choices really matter? Yes. Both are true. Do not neglect the one for the other. You cannot say, well, I can make choices, therefore God's not sovereign. Nope, you're missing a big, big, big uh, truth of the Bible. But then you can't swing the other way and say, well, if God is sovereign, then my choices don't matter. No, they really, really matter. They really have long consequences. These are going on for their entire tribes. For all these years will be affected by the choices that they make. Your choices have consequences. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So my question to you now is, what are you sowing? What choices are you making? How will they affect your future? Don't believe just in this, uh, that the world is just going the way God wants it to, and therefore what I do makes no difference. No, you're making real choices that will have real consequences Good or bad. You can either sow to the flesh and reap corruption or sow to the spirit and reap eternal life. And that's at a salvific level, but even at a normal level of, of just the, the blessings we encounter, the, the future we are laying up for ourselves, our choices have real consequences. Real consequences for us, real consequences for our families, for our church, for our cities. Our choices have real consequences consequences now if any of us have any sort of humility and self-awareness here's what you should think after i say that that your choices have consequences oh no oh no i, I i've made a lot of bad choices in my life if you have any humility and any self-awareness you recognize that you have made many bad choices in your life. You have chosen to worship and to serve things that are not God. You have chosen to do things that God has told you not to do. You have chosen not to do things God has told you to do. You've done things that are unwise, that are foolish. I have. Absolutely I have. Oh, no. That should be our thought when we get just that point. That standalone point. Your choices have consequences but another principle that we learn from this is number three, it's not too late for grace. It's not too late for grace. 
Now, I don't want to say that it's never too late for grace. Some of you who uh, know your Bible well will know that, that, that there seems to be a point where we do uh, get ourselves where our hearts are we're so hardened that we can't even turn back to God. But I'm telling you right now, if you're hearing God, if you're hearing that your choices have real consequences, though he be in control, and that's pricking your conscience and you're saying, oh no, what shall I do? Then I would say it's not too late for grace. It is not too late to turn to the living God who offers grace. And I, I see this uh, a couple of times here, uh, at least a couple of times here in these prophetic blessings in Genesis 49. So Levi, we saw there in uh, beginning in verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers and their, their weapons of violence are their swords. And I told you earlier that they have lost their blessing, the blessing of the firstborn, because of their violence, the way they treated that whole city when one man in it sinned. And it said there at the end, uh, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Jacob. That's the end of verse 7. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Okay, so Simeon was a part of this. Later we see Simeon gets a, a small plot, a relatively small plot, and it's uh, not, not a very great plot, but anyways, uh, in Israel. But then later on, I, I don't have all, all the texts uh, you know, ready for you, but uh, there are times that it tells us about the scatterings of this tribe of Benjamin, how they are, or not Benjamin, Simeon, how, how they are in having to reside in these other tribal areas uh, because of the conflicts going on in their area. And so that prophecy was fulfilled for them in a very negative way, right? Cursed be their anger, it says, for it is fierce and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Simeon was, had walked in this sinful way. He continues in this sinful way, and it happens. There's this, this spreading throughout Israel, not having this blessing of a tribe, a unified tribe that works together and, and encourages one another and, and pushes forward. But what about Levi? If you were to look at a, uh, you know, a, an, a map of Israel and say, now where is the tribe of Levi? What you, what you would find is there is no tribal allotment given to Levi. Rather, they are given cities within each of the tribes, okay? They're given cities within each of the tribes, and that, that is their, the fulfillment of their curse. But what we need to understand is, because of God's grace, their curse became a blessing. The reason that they did not have a tribal allotment of land and that they were scattered throughout all of Israel is because God made them priests. The reason God made them priests uh, among the people, they were to be priests and to uh, be uh, temple and, and, and synagogue you know, leaders or whatever, uh, is because of their actions in Exodus 32. <laughs> this, is, this is some crazy stuff. I, I kind of got to give you a little uh, background. They've been, Israel has been freed from their slavery in, in Egypt. This is much later. In Israel's history, hundreds of years from, from uh, this Genesis 49, they've been freed from their, their slavery in, in Egypt. You know, Moses is, is taking them around. They're in uh, the, the wilderness there. And God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai. Moses is up there for a very long time because God is giving him the, the Ten Commandments, 40 days, 40 nights. He's up there. And the people 
kind of start to, to, to get anxious. Okay, where did our leader go? Where did Moses go? He was our contact with God. What do we do now? And so what happens is the, the people say, hey, Aaron, it's Moses' brother. Hey, Aaron, make for us a calf that we may worship it. Remember that? The golden calf, and Aaron does it. Take off your earrings, take off your jewelry, and he makes a calf. And the people not only worship, they, the, the, the wording there in Exodus is they, they went out to play. It means they, they gave themselves to sin um, in addition to this uh, worshiping of the golden calf in exchange for God. This makes God and Moses incredibly angry that they would sin against God in this way. And the penalty for such grievous sin was death. And so here's what it says, Exodus 32, uh, beginning in verse 25. It'll be 25 to 29. It says, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, that's broken loose morally, when he saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to their derision of the, to, to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered around him. If you just, he, he says, who, who's with me? Or, or who wants to do their own thing? Who wants to give themselves uh, to, to breaking loose from God's commands and God's ways? Who, who's with me? And the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on the side of each of you and go to and fro from the gate to... Uh, gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor he's saying put out justice that the, the penalty for this is death this type of idolatry and the sons of levi did according to the word of moses and that day about three thousand men of the people fell and moses said today you have been ordained for the service of the lord each one at the cost of his son and his brother that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. You hear that? They made a choice. Though, though they had a, a curse upon them that they would be scattered throughout the land, they made a choice to follow God later, to come under God's grace. By the way, the people of Levi were just as much a part of this calf worship as everyone else in Israel. But when he said, who is with me today? Who is going to repent of this sin the people of Levi come and they obey God, even at the cost of the lives of their friends, their brothers around them that were unwilling to repent. And 3,000 men fell. 3,000 is a relatively small number for the 600,000 that were there. But it's still a humongous number of people. Uh, but it says, you've been ordained for the service of the Lord. That he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. And so the people who were to be scattered in the lands, that was still fulfilled. God didn't unfulfill his promise, you know, or say, okay, well, I'm going to change my prophecy now. They were still scattered in the land. But rather than being scattered as sojourners, they were scattered as priests, as ones who would lead each of these tribes and, and intercede between each of these tribes for the people of God. So their curse was turned into a blessing. There is room for grace. There is time for grace. Another great example would be that of Judah. We have Judah getting the, the kingly line, the messianic line. Did he start out well? 
No, Judah is the one who, back when they were uh, planning to kill uh, Joseph, says, hey, look, I know what we can do. We can get money off of him. We can sell him to these slave traders. So evidently, he's the leader of the, the family at this point, uh, leading them in this sin. Then after his brother is sold in, into slavery, his father is grieving, and he selfishly leaves his father's house in the middle of this grief. Then he goes and marries a pagan Canaanite woman, even though they knew this was contrary to God's desire. Then his children, he marries his sons off to a Canaanite woman. And again, through a crazy series of events, he ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law, believing her to be a prostitute. This is Judah. Later, when his daughter-in-law is found to be pregnant out of wedlock, he says, have her put to death. Have her put to death by burning. His tone changes pretty quick when she says, hey, it's actually your kid. I mean, that, that, that's Judah. The hypocrisy, the evil, the sin that he was living in. But God got a hold of his heart. And we saw later, he says, you know what? G give Benjamin back and take me. You can have my life. That's what he says to, to Joseph, you know, believing him to be uh, an, an Egyptian, you know, a, a second in command there of Egypt. We see God grab a hold of his heart, and he makes a choice to lay down his life for his brother. And because of that, your brothers shall praise you is the new blessing. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. Again, talking about the Savior. And to him shall be the obedience of all the people's the obedience of the people's friends judah lived a, a terrible life but he made these choices and he, he made the, these decisions and they, they were terrible and the consequences should have come upon him but what he did was rather than run away from god was run to god to be covered by his grace. Same for Levi. Again, they're part of this rebellion against God, a part of this calf, this golden calf. And while the curse of being spread still remains on them, it becomes a blessing. Why? Because of their choice to run to God. Who's with me today, says Moses. We need to understand that when we make bad choices that really do generate bad consequences, the worst possible thing we could do in that moment is to run and hide from God. It's the worst possible thing. There is no getting out from under his reach. There is no evading his consequences. Our only hope, our only hope when we see our sin, when we see our failure, when we see our bad choices is to run to God, the only source of forgiveness, the only source of grace we still don't deserve it in that moment, but it is a part of God's nature that he forgives and that he gives grace. And so still within his sovereign will, in spite of our bad choices, God gives grace. He still works out his will through all of that. But we're deciding what our lives are going to look like, what our families are going to look like, what our eternities are going to look like. We see all of that in these prophecies. God has the future in control, yet our decisions, our choices really matter. 
All of us, if we are honest with ourselves, know that we've made bad decisions. The only good choice is to run to God in those moments, to find security in His wings. Just think about it today. We, we can all bow our heads for a moment, and I'll pray in just a second, okay? We're going to bow our heads together right now, and we're going to ask God to search our hearts. So right now, I, I, I'm asking you, God, to bring to our minds what, what choices we are making today that are going to bear bad fruit. God, is it relationships we have that we should not be in? God, is it sins that we are continually walking in? Situations we're constantly putting ourselves in? Is it thought patterns, Lord, that we, we entertain of anger, of greed, of lust, of pride? God, bring these to our minds. Because, God, we can't just push them down. We recognize that. We can't just push them down and act like they're not there. What we must do is come to you for grace. What we must do is come to you for grace. Because, as it says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God, that is our only hope, is to come to you through Christ Jesus, our high priest, to find grace in time of need. God, we repent for the terrible choices we've been making. We ask that you would be gracious on us. God, even the consequences of our, our choices, Lord, I pray that you would turn those into blessings. God, we want to worship you with our whole lives. We want to orient our whole lives around you. And oftentimes that's a course correction when we see we are going the wrong way, we by your grace, by trusting in Jesus, <clears throat> turn back the right way, Lord. Give us the strength to do this. Lord, if anyone in this room is not trusted in Jesus and they are under eternal bless, sorry, under, under your eternal cursedness, Lord, I pray that they would make a choice right now that they would see that it's not too late for grace to believe on the work of your son, the finished payment for sins on the cross and the resurrection life you promise, the eternal life you promise by believing in him. Lord, let them do that now. Let them make that choice to come to you instead of run from you, instead of push you away. And Lord, all of us who are trying to, to walk through this life faithfully, let us do the same. Any areas of our lives that are not matching up with your laws, not matching up with your decrees, not matching up with what you've commanded us, Lord. Let us turn away from those sins, whether they be actions or thought patterns or words. Let us turn away from those sins and turn to you that we may find grace in the time of need, Lord. I pray this in your son's holy name. Amen.